Hi, welcome to the Airline Weekly Lounge podcast. I'm your host, Maduni Krishnan, the editor of Airline Weekly. I'm joined today by my friend and colleague, Ned Russell, who covers airlines for Skift and for Airline Weekly. We had some big news to cover today. We, uh, we looked at Sun Country's plan to go public. Now, we all knew this was coming. The, the question was when. And uh, we, we dive into why Sun Country would choose now in the midst of the worst crisis in aviation's history to go public. We also look at some of the uh, new routes that Allegiant and um, Spirit are adding and um, talk about whether COPA will, uh, will be this Wall Street darling and superstar that it was before the pandemic. And also we take a look at uh, Air Canada and what's going on with uh, Canadian Air Airlines now that uh, the government has imposed some of the strictest travel restrictions in the world. I hope you enjoy the show. Uh, check back on airlineweekly.com every day and every Monday for a new issue. Ned, good morning. Morning, Madhu. How are you doing today? Good, good. We've been busy with earnings. So let's, let's, uh, but there's, there's some other big news that happened in the airline world this week and uh, something that really hasn't happened since 2014. Uh, yeah. Ned, let's take it away. Let's talk to all things Sun Country. <laughs> well, it's been uh, a long-awaited uh, debut, Sun Country Airlines. Uh, for those of you who don't know them, they're sort of a, a unique LCC carrier out of Minneapolis, and they've been held by owned by a, a hedge fund since 2017, and they just announced that they're doing an IPO, uh, which we've been expecting, I think, for over a year, Madhu, two years almost. Yeah, about but, a year and a half. So. Yeah. So they filed their S1 last night. Uh, they plan to go public. And like Madhu said, we haven't had a major airline uh, IPO since Virgin America in 2014, though Mesa Airlines, a, region, a regional carrier out of Phoenix, went public in 2018. But still, it's a, it's a big deal. Yeah, it is a big deal. And um, you're right. I mean, it, is kind of, it was kind of the worst kept secret in aviation. The, the question wasn't really – it was just um, – the question was really when. And some might say – uh, in the middle of the wor the worst crisis in the aviation history, a once in a century pandemic, is an interesting time for it to go public. Um, but I mean, Sun Country, we both read the S one, which for those of you who are outside the U S, the S one is the um, the form, uh, the prospectus that the uh, co a company has to file with the U S. Uh, Securities regulator, the Securities and Exchange Commission. Um, so we both read the S one and. Um, uh, there, there are some unique things about Sun Country with this in this pandemic. Dad, take it away. Let's, let's start with the fact that it made money. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was, I was actually quite impressed. In the first nine months of 2020, Sun Country made a, a small profit. I want to say it was just over $5 million net profit. But still, considering the year, that was great. Uh, a big driver of that, though. Well, let's let's talk about Sun Country's unique model, I should say. They are traditionally a scheduled airline, but they always uh -huh. had a charter business. And in 20, yeah, last year, 2020, they launched a new cargo business for Amazon. And they're flying uh, 737-800 freighters for Amazon's package delivery business around the country. They started out with 10 planes, added two more at the end of the year. And that they say that business has really helped buoy their finances, kept crews flying. You know, an interesting thing I saw in this one is where others are furloughing, they're hiring pilots because yeah. they, they need them for their freighter business. And so it's really a unique business model. And they're diversifying, like I said, passenger, scheduled passenger, charter and cargo. 
Yeah. Yeah. You know, the, the interesting thing about the Amazon deal with me, and, and as Ned mentioned, it started off, it was, it was, uh, it was announced at the end of 2019. So before the pandemic, um, it started off with 10 airplanes, 10, um, seven threes that are being flown with cargo on both decks, the, the main deck and the cargo hold. Um, and it's expanded to two more aircraft. Uh, but what, what, what's interesting to me is how prescient it was, right? I mean, it, it, it seemed like a strange deal back in 2019. I mean, it was not strange in that it was an unusual thing for a past, a scheduled passenger airline to strike a, an all cargo deal with a, a major, uh, retailer or whatever you want to call Amazon. Um, so it, it was strange, but, you know, it was very prescient given the fact that uh, e-commerce and just online commerce and uh, on, online um, business has boomed during this pandemic as so much of the population in the U.S. is um, is trapped at home and is, is shopping online. So that, that, yeah, one that, of the numbers that uh, jumped out to me in the S1, Maju, was you know, they're forecasting 15% growth in the air cargo market on the back of e-commerce over the next few years. And I, I think that was even with you know, not including COVID, you know, just e-commerce is just booming. And then COVID is just I made mean, that sore. And if you think about all the fewer flights with his belly cargo, I mean, yeah, Sun Country, if they keep expanding this agreement, potentially can, you know, really, really, you know, make a lot of money potentially, but yeah. And, and you know, what's interesting um, also about the cargo deal is um, Sun Country, I, it does fly routes to, um, to Mexico and the Caribbean, but this, this cargo deal, I believe is strictly the U S right, Ned? That's what I understand. Yes. And, um, you know, a few months ago, I was talking to um, someone at Southwest, Andrew Watterson, who's the chief revenue officer who said, uh, you know, I asked him about cargo because cargo is fueling, the results for so many airlines, Korean turned a profit on the back of um, cargo, Singapore's um, losses were reduced because of cargo. We have all heard, you know, America United, for example, flying unusually for them, all freight flights on their some of their international routes. Uh, Watterson said that, you know, for domestic, it wasn't as big a deal as um, it is for international because the Aircraft are smaller, you know, there's less belly hold capacity. And so it wasn't as much of a driver, but for Sun Country, it is. And that, that is, <laughs> that's an interesting sort of distinction between it and the its competitors, like Allegiant and right. um, Spirit and other LCC, ULCCs. Right. Uh, you really see that when you read the prospectus because oh. they compare themselves to Allegiant and, and we look at Allegiant and they did, you know, they did relatively well in 2020, but they still lost money. They still right. posted a small net loss now, um, whereas Sun Country not. So that, you know, it sort of it sets them apart a little bit, even though they on the passenger side, they have very comparable businesses. Right. But the, let's let's shift over to the passenger side. I mean, one thing Sun Country said in its uh, filing with the um, SEC was that it feels that its its network is perfectly sort of constituted for the time we're in. Um, and Ned, you're a routes guy. Tell take tell us. I mean, why why is that important to note? That's important because right now, I mean, we are in a market that is almost entirely driven by leisure demand. And leisure passengers like to fly. You know, I mean, well, this is traditionally like to fly on a Friday, come back on a Sunday. You know, or they do a week long trip Saturday to Saturday. They don't fly as much on Tuesdays and Wednesdays. There's you know, low days. Um, and Sun Country has really perfected a network where they, like Allegiant, fly in peak days. But they also have... 
but but they've also tailored it to to add frequency. You know, I remember one time sitting down with Sun Country's CEO, and he talked about flying between LAX and Honolulu during the peak period. This is pre-COVID, mm-hmm. and saying you know, you've got every major airline on that route, but there is so much demand that we can come in with three peak day flights and. You know, we're, we show up on Expedia and people will book us because there's so many people flying. Like, and the major carriers don't blink because we're such a small, you know, player in there. And we only go in for three months. We offer peak day flights. And, and, you know, that's what they're doing through this. They, they see, they see the peak day demand. They go into a route. They fly for three months and they pull out. And they, I remember reading this in the prospectus. They talked about how we're really good at entering a market for a short period. Coming, you know, pulling back out, and it's they're adapt to that. Yeah, they are. Um, but they're also, I mean, their network is unique in that it is really centered on Minneapolis and bringing people from the upper Midwest to sun destinations. And they noted that as a risk factor in their um, their prospectus. Yeah. That they are so concentrated, and they have great brand presence in their home market, um, and they serve it well. But they are very tied to that local economy. And one thing that also leapt out in the prospectus to me is that, uh, and as you mentioned, they are a leisure carrier and there's really no way of telling how, um, how ravaged the economy will be after COVID, right? I mean, that's for we're, sure. We're, seeing, we're kind of on a sugar high with a lot of uh, federal aid pump, pumping into the economy and into the airline industry. Uh, there, there's $1.9 trillion more coming in federal aid, but that's sort of masking what could be a very weak economy on the other side of this. And Sun Country's passengers are typically price-conscious leisure tra- travelers who who will cut, tra- if their discretionary income falls, they will cut the visit to grandma or the trip, the annual trip to Hawaii or Florida or wherever. Right. So that that is a significant risk factor, and I, and that's why you know when I when I looked at this prospectus, I was thinking, why would you do this now? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you ride it on the back of the wave. We've seen some very successful IPOs recently. I mean, was that's it true. it was Airbnb that did quite well with their yes. IPO a few months ago? Um, I know that we've covered that some. Um, you, you they see that? I think they see the opportunity to jump into the markets. And the markets throughout this, I don't think have fully reflected the impact of COVID on the economy. You know, yeah. it's the the line that, that I always like to hear from, or I always hear from Kai Rizdal at Marketplace, you know, the, the stock market is not the economy, you know. So right. if the market's riding high, it's a good time to issue shares, um, even if the underlying economy isn't doing so well. That's that's true. I mean, it's take advantage of the froth in the market now and, um, and and see what happens <laughs> right. guess, for for its owners now um, uh, um sun country is owned by apollo uh so there if you know they you have to assume that like other companies like in their space they they'll make some money and get out so right right i mean that was the original that was always the plan right they right. were going to go in turn the carrier around and uh, the prospectus dives into the turnaround and lowering costs and everything and then yeah ipo and exit basically i mean before apollo took it over it was a very weird airline <laughs> it was I mean, it was run if i'm not mistaken and you might know this better ned it was run by um two brothers right yeah it was a family-owned business i yeah. believe essentially and, and it was kind um, of like you know they 
flew where they wanted to. And they had, I believe I remember hearing the anecdote, uh, it could have been from Jude Bricker, the CEO, the current CEO, or maybe somewhere else that uh, there was first class or a, a premium product on their aircraft because the brothers wanted a premium product. <laughs> that wouldn't surprise me. I mean, I always thought it was funny that Sun Country had a premium product with uh wasn't their burger really popular or something and everyone was upset yeah. that it was going away when they uh when they reached or, or it was a buy on board. Yeah. But no. They were an interesting an interesting carrier. But they've always flown on the back of their strong brand presence in the upper Midwest. I mean yeah. you go to Minnesota. I had the opportunity to fly them and ride their um, bus connection with Landline that they launched oh, in 2019. That's, right. that's and, interesting. Uh, Can you talk about that? That's a little interesting side business they got going on. Yeah. So Sun Country in late 2019 inaugurated what you know they consider essentially a you know Delta connection or United Express flight, but it's it's operated by a bus called Landline, uh, founded by by two former airline guys, and. They connected Minneapolis-St. Paul Airport to Duluth and Man- Mankato. Uh, excuse me for any upper Midwesterners that I butchered the name. Uh, basically, the idea is you can buy the ticket online. Uh, you go to the airport, check in for the bu- your your flight like you would you'd air quotes, and then you can check your bag and you just you get on the bus, ride to the Minneapolis airport. Your bag goes straight through to your flight. You have to clear security there, but not that painful. I actually did it and I checked a. <laughs> backpack through just to see how it worked. And uh, yeah, it was actually remarkably smooth. I mean, you, you could hit traffic potentially and get delayed, but the way they have it set up, the their system cushions the connection. So you're not, you know, ideally you're not like running for your plane. And it's, it's I think for some countries model is potentially, it has a lot of potential because it's a low cost way to add feed from these smaller upper Midwest cities. And, and I spoke to Jude Bricker and he, you know, he was saying anything within, I think about a four to five hour radius of the twin cities was an opportunity for them. And, and we actually have seen them expand it though in COVID times, they've added five cities with sort of private, I, I'm not fully sure, them, but it's like a private SUV. Hmm. So assuming that people don't want to ride with a, a bus full of people, um, but they've gone to five more cities in the upper Midwest all around Minneapolis. And I imagine that those would go to regular buses once COVID, the COVID risk declines. Uh, but yeah, it's a, it's a good, I think it works for them. Cheaper than a CRJ. <laughs> it's definitely quirky. Yeah. All right, Ned, let's, let's shift gears a little bit. And uh, we wrapped up more or less wrapped up earnings in the U S there's a couple of stragglers still Mesa today. And um, this is sorry, Mesa this week. Um, and uh we're we're getting ready. We're rolling up our sleeves for some of the uh, non-U.S. carriers uh, to start reporting. Uh, Copa goes this Friday. Uh, we'll, Air Canada. Talk. Air Canada. Yeah. yeah. Um, what do you? You're covering Air Canada for us. What are you expecting from? To hear. Well, from I'm that? expecting more commentary from Air Canada. You know. Uh, aimed at the Canadian government. Uh, yeah. They have, throughout the crisis, provided minimal aid to the Canadian airlines. I, you know, I'm not up on the full details, but I think it's just some payroll assistance and yeah. they haven't done anything else. Wage they support. have very strict travel restrictions in place. And in the, I want to say their third, well, in their second quarter call, they threatened to cancel some orders, including the Airbus A220, which is formerly the Bombardier C-Series, manufactured in Canada. So... That sort of hit home, and and the Canadian government did not back down. So Air Canada did what they promised. They canceled some aircraft orders uh, in the third quarter. So I think we're going to see more of that. 
coming from Air Canada, especially as I, I just saw today that they're suspending a number of international routes mm -hmm. based on uh, new travel restrictions. They've uh, temporarily suspended uh, flights at their low-cost Rouge subsidiary. So I think it's going to be more, you know, we need government help or, you know, if, if they're going to do these restrictions, we need government help, basically. I think that's going to be the narrative coming out. Yeah, and it's you know it's worth noting here that Canada has probably the strictest among the strictest uh, travel restrictions of any country that's not an island, uh, and and I'm you know I'm serious about the not an island thing. I mean Canada, but uh, just in January, Canada, the government of Canada sort of surprised the airline industry with a new requirement for um, negative tests in addition to a government-approved 14-day quarantine. Um, and I was talking to the National Air, um, the, the, the trade group that, um, that represents Canadian Airlines, the NACC, and they, they were completely blindsided by this. So it, it's yeah. it's strict, and it's only gotten stricter as more variants have, have emerged. And right. Air Canada suspending Rouge, as you said, and, as, and also international routes, um, Air Transit is not flying at all. Yeah. Um, Let's not forget Porter Airlines, our favorite little uh, yes. little raccoon out of um, Toronto, hasn't flown since last March. So Right. And they keep delaying um, when they're going to resume operations. And uh, there, there's, you know, it's worth considering that Porter may not survive COVID. It might be a yeah. COVID casualty. So um, interesting times up in Canada. I'm, I'm very curious to hear what you find out later this week. And uh, we will have it, of course, on uh, on Airline Weekly um, for, sure. for our readers. <laughs> and Madhu, what are you looking forward from Copa? You know, they're they're an airline that has been hit by by border closures because they're a market. I mean, they are essentially an all international carry. What are you looking forward for them this week? Well, that that's precisely it. I mean, Copa has no domestic market whatsoever, and the airlines that have done well in this are as well as can be can be in this pandemic have been ones like Azul and the U.S. carriers and uh, the uh, Russian carriers that have large domestic markets and even the European carriers, right? I mean, they have like, they consider intra-EU as, as domestic. Um, but Copa is in a tough spot because Latin America has perhaps the most confusing travel restrictions of any region in the, in the world. Uh, it's a patchwork quilt that ranges from complete lockdowns to to airlines allowed to fly into one airport in a country. And, and it's just confusing and it's ever changing. And that's the problem, IATA. If you talk to IATA, the, their issue is not so much the restrictions. Of course, they, 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 they're in favor of lifting restrictions, but the fact that they change seemingly by the week. So it's impossible for airlines to plan. So COPA actually, as you know, Ned, like, um, was pretty much grounded until September. Yeah. And Panama I mean, yeah. lifted its own restrictions and has been slowly adding routes back. Um, so I'm curious to hear, you know, this was this was pre-COVID. This Copa was such a superstar in the airline industry. I mean, it was like a license to print money. It has this excellent hub situated in a very advantageous geographical location. I mean, connect for north-south flows between North America and South America. Um, and they had and none of the none of the Altitude issues that Avianca and Aeromexico faced with their primary hubs. I mean, it was just, yeah, Panama City, fantastic connecting point. And Panama City, obviously, is at sea level because yeah. <laughs> it has to be, right? <laughs> uh, but uh, 
but also, you know, they were one of the few carriers that continued a presence in Venezuela, which is a has a surprisingly lucrative market um, for them. I mean, they've cut back. But so pre-COVID, it was a superstar. And then it basically put itself on the shelf for several months. And now I'm curious to hear, Dad, about their business model. I mean, they exist to connect. So how are they navigating all the pat- the patchwork quilt? Excuse my mixed metaphor, but how are they navigating this 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 just confusing mess of, of restrictions? Are they you know are they bringing people? They they've reintroduced some of their U.S. flights or people flying from the U.S. to um, Panama. Is Panama become, emerging as a vacation destination on its own? I mean, I'm curious to hear all of these things and what they when they think that uh, a recovery may happen in their region. So uh, it, it's always an interesting airline to listen to. Um, it's just it's it's got a very interesting and strong business model. It's a Wall Street darling and or was. Yes. And, uh, you know, I was talking to an analyst a few weeks ago who said that she was still um, pretty bullish on COPA. Yeah. So it'll be interesting. That's what I'm listening yeah. for. One thing I definitely think you should listen to, Madhu, is, is if uh, COPA plans to take advantage of the downturn to accelerate the partnership that we've been talking about for years with Avianca and United and, and maybe Azul. You know, we've seen some other airlines like Delta and Latam trying to accelerate their partnership through the crisis. So I'm curious if Copa and, and uh, its partners are trying to do the same. Yeah, I wonder that, that that'll be something else I'll be listening to. So uh, stay tuned and check back at Airline Weekly. Um, and then, of course, we've got uh, we've got Mesa, which is always an interesting airline to, to, to listen to. So, um, I'm, you know, SkyWest last week. Uh, of course, SkyWest is larger than Mesa, but SkyWest uh, was pretty positive about the second half of this year and um, increasing flying with its its uh, mainline partners. So that's that's what I'll be listening to for yeah. for Mesa. Well, we can't forget I've got Spirit Airlines later this week, so uh-huh. it'll be. Mm. I'm very interested to see if they also expect to turn a profit in 2021 as a, as Allegiant and Sun Country say mm-hmm. they think they will. So. Uh, Spirit is everyone knows is sort of the the largest ULCC in the U.S. Uh, you know budget, but they've yeah their model potentially lends itself to uh, turning a profit if if that's uh, where the market goes. Of course, I mean no one knows where COVID's going to go, but yeah, right. we'll see. But you know with Spirit, let's talk about that for a second. I mean um, Allegiant, as we know, has been adding new routes like it's going out of fashion. Right, I think what did they drop just twenty one new routes this week or what? Uh, today it was it's twenty no, it's thirty something. But eight of them are um are spe- are just short term routes for the Sturgis rally in uh-huh. uh, South Dakota. So those are only I'm I, I uh, prefer not to include them just because they're only you know a couple weeks flying for a couple weeks rather than than new additions. But yeah, their uh, allegiance in their earnings call last week were, I mean, they were like, it's time to, uh, forget forget the quote they used, but basically time to get going. And, and they're anticipating growing by 20% by the end of the year. Not 20%. for uh, 20% for just the second half, but, uh-huh. um, but you know, that would be significant. 20% over 2019, I should say, not 2020. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Okay. And uh, did, is Spirit chasing the same sort of... Uh leisure market i mean are they they're not oh, yeah. as crazily as uh, or as as 
enthusiastically. <laughs> Let's put it that way, as enthusiastically as Legion. But um, they have. Uh, can you tell us what have they rejiggered their network in the last few months? Yeah, you see them going to a lot more bigger airports, the ones that they uh-huh. used to uh, really eschew. They've, uh, let's see, the routes announced today, they've got a number coming out of Houston Hobby where, you know, they, I could say they compete with Southwest, but they don't really because all the routes that they're adding are to non-Southwest cities like Hmm. Springfield, Branson. Uh, Portland, Oregon is getting a number of new routes, which is interesting. I actually saw a fair number of overlap with Alaska. Uh, They're adding flights to uh, Missoula, Kalispell, Bozeman, and Montana, all routes that have Alaska has flown out of Portland for years. So it's, it's interesting. They're doing more more markets where they're competing with other airlines. Um, oh, LAX, there you go. They're doing yeah. Midwest, Des Moines, Omaha. I mean, in Spirit, or sorry, Allegiant typically goes into these point-to-point markets where they face little to no competition. I remember for years they made the argument that we only have 21 overlapping you know, route pairs with any other airline. And in the announcement today, I'd say at least half of the routes overlap with another airline. So they're clearly seeing low-hanging fruit that they can take where, where they're competing with someone else. Huh. Well, I'm sure you'll keep us posted. I'm curious to hear what Spirit has to say. Ned, I want to thank you for joining. Well, it's your job, so I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I Still th- waiting for our running podcast, Maju. When's it going to happen? Oh, good Lord. <laughs> no one wants to hear that, Ned. Nobody wants to hear that. So I want to thank you for joining us again for the Airline Weekly Lounge. And uh, per usual, check us check back on um, airlineweekly.com for daily updates and, of course, for the weekly issue. Thank you, Dad. Thanks, Madhu. Have a good one. You too. Thank you for joining us for this week's episode of the Airline Weekly Lounge podcast. Should you have comments or questions, drop editor Madhu Unikrishnan a note at mu at skiff.com. And, of course, check out airlineweekly.com for a new issue every Monday and updates on the latest airline news throughout the week.